Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Lincoln Payton, CEO of ClearTrace, a carbon accounting startup. We dug into the three phases of ESG, why hourly energy supply and consumption data is so important for real estate moving forward, how ClearTrace's product sits in the middle of those two sides of the decarbonization equation, and then much, much more. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Lincoln Payton. Hello, Lincoln. Welcome to the Nexus podcast. Can you introduce yourself? James, yes. Good, good afternoon. I'm delighted to, to be with you today. Lincoln Payton. Uh, I'm talking to you here from Connecticut, just outside New York City. Uh, it's not a Brooklyn accent, as you can probably tell. Originally <laughs> born and raised in, in London, uh, very international parents, though. And, and that kind of led me to, to moving over here with my, my first go around profession uh, that I, I retired from a few years ago before uh, before coming uh, to this very exciting decarbonization technology opportunity space. So uh, my background is investment banking. I grew up okay. in the energy vertical of investment banking. All right. Uh, goes back to the city of London. Um, I'm dating myself here, but my first boss wore a bowler hat and had a furled umbrella. So it's kind of Mary Poppins style. But, <laughs> um, but I grew up doing all the usual things, strategic advisory, M&A, all forms of capital raising around the energy vertical. Okay. Over the years that, that evolved from purely a hydrocarbon type of uh, fundamental to much more the electron and the renewable space. Mm -hmm. um, I always like, you know, banks tend to be big platforms, James, uh, but I always like building um, new things in between the gaps of those big platforms, if you like. Um, when energy became an asset class in its own right, built on and off exchange risk management platforms, um, principal investing businesses, specific advisory units, uh, moved over to the US uh, 30 years ago with a young family, expecting to be here for uh, just a couple of years, typical big company move, and it worked out very well. It worked out very well family-wise, uh, and it worked out well professionally, and, and here we still are. I've now been in the US longer than I was in the UK. Okay. Um, uh, you know, re retired from, from banking uh, three years ago. I was at that point running investment banking uh, for BNP Paribas, the largest Eurozone bank in, uh, in the Americas. Uh, I, I ran the energy franchise uh, globally and sat on the Exco of the bank. So I saw, uh, it's fair to say, I saw a lot of banking, finance, advisory, risk management around the energy space. Uh, and when I, when I retired from that, wanted to, to be part of the very concrete, sensible evolution to a renewable world. Not all the, the you know, the, the hot air, frankly, metaphorically and literally, but um, the biggest gap that I saw from those different tangents I'd been around the energy space was high quality data. Uh, and that's kind of what brings me, brings me to ClearTrace and where we are today. Cool. So you're from London, you grew up in London. I have to ask you, what color do you bleed? 
blue Chelsea my friend. <laughs> um, now I, and I have to say I'm very happy you know I was a West London a West London guy okay and I used to go to Chelsea when it it was not expensive to get in uh, and you stood and got wet while you watched uh-huh. um, and by the way people were a lot less well behaved than they are now <laughs> yeah 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 um but it was always a cause of consternation because my, my my wife was a Man United supporter. Okay. So, you know, it, it caused conflict in the in the family. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, my best friend uh, is a Man United supporter and it causes conflict in our relationship on okay, so a what, weekly basis. What, so tell me, who, who's, who is it that you're supporting? Uh, I, so I bleed red, uh, North London, Arsenal. Oh. Yeah. Well, they've, yeah. had a lot of, they've had a lot of success lately, so... Yeah, it was mostly when I was a child, and you know, I was growing up, and there was a player called Thierry Henry, a uh, French guy that was just my hero. It was the Michael Jordan of my childhood, is basically what it was. Um, him and Kobe Bryant, I was just... They were my heroes. Um, and he still is. He's, he's, he was an amazing player. So yeah. he, he got me onto the Arsenal train, and then ever since he retired, it's been like totally downhill from there but it's kind of like on the up again i think right now so yeah look i think so he was an amazing athlete and you know i because i spent a lot of time um in and around france he was, uh-huh. he was a national hero oh of, yeah of absolutely the kobe and michael jordan proportions so oh, totally phenomenal phenomenal guy anyway this is not a soccer podcast um <laughs> So I'd love to hear a little bit. So you were not one of the founders of ClearTrace. You've joined since the founding. Can you talk about the founding story a little bit and catch us up? What was it like when you joined? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when, when I retired from banking, I was looking around for something to do that would, would frankly be productive, also keep me out from under my wife's feet. And uh, <laughs> I was helping a, helping a friend who runs an energy risk management platform uh, down in the Austin, Texas area with with some things, a good friend, we'd worked together before. Uh, and he basically said, well, look, if you, if you don't want to go back to banking, um, here's something completely at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, yeah. They had spun out this little startup. I think it was eight people at the time in a very cool, uh, like a caricature, funky, cool little office in a refurbished warehouse with a spiral staircase and, and a beanbag, uh, this little startup in, in East Austin. Um, and it came from a couple of rocket scientist energy traders, guys that were risk managing around uh, comp- the complex grid and structure that we have, um, the electricity place, um, and also uh, an MIT professor um, with blockchain and, um, and data and life sciences skills. And they had come together and, and put the concept of being able to trace and identify in a very data-based factual way, uh, energy and carbon. So when I said the big gap around uh, the energy space has been the ability to have high quality data, significant part of that is being able to say, well, okay, yes, electricity is fungible. The electron doesn't even move in some respects, but how do we, how do we apportion responsibility and ownership and clarification around that space? So they had this concept, but it was a startup in every sense of the world, which was boot, every sense of the word, which was bootstrapping from a financial point of view, but also mm-hmm. relatively unstructured and open and, and, and brilliant 
um, needed some help. I, I went on the board and started advising and, and helping them. Great people, um, but very different skill sets um, being brought together. Uh, needed to raise some money. So clearly I've got a little bit of that in my background. So that was helping them with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first, the first, this, this was interesting because it was right at the rollout of COVID. This was February, March of 2020. So not only did they have a brilliant idea, not only did they have to raise some money um, and try and get some shape in what we were doing, but we also had to deal with a world that was changing dramatically at that yeah. point. Um, and, and worked very well because I think the fundamental concept and the people, phenomenal. Uh, we, we managed to raise some money from a, a Boston-based clean energy sector VC firm. And together with that, very importantly, because uh, I think it's, it's part of the validation that I hope continues with what we do from Brookfield Renewable, because they saw what we were doing. Because, and I'll explain why and how and why in a second. So we raised money from, um, from that VC and from Brookfield. Uh, and one of the conditions of their financing was uh, that I came on as CEO. So um, uh, that we raised that money in July. I came on August 1st, 2020, in the heart of that first wave of COVID uh, as CEO. So for me, um, interesting on a number of levels. First of all, I've gone from a 200,000 person global organization yeah. um, to an, a nine person, pretty local Austin organization. <laughs> okay. uh, secondly, a totally virtual world, because at that point, no one was traveling anywhere. Um, and uh, and, and a, really a technology space when that wasn't my background. I've built businesses where technology was important in the equation but uh, not the principal uh, fundamental of the business. So very, very exciting for me. Uh, as I say, and, and, and we'll talk about how it kind of evolved in a second, but um, I loved it straight away because I am passionate about fixing the problem. And I did believe, and I still do believe, that the ClearTrace technology is world changing because it enables accurate measurement, monitoring, footprinting around the energy space, which opens the whole panacea of regulatory change, genuine comparison, um, genuine uh, voluntary good behavior that can actually be monitored, as opposed to the vagueness that's, um, that's out there, frankly, currently. So I'm passionate about what we do. Phenomenal group of people, even at that first stage, and we've added to it. We, we've, we've grown quite considerably um, and plan to continue doing that. And the culture is great because when you've got a nice core culture to add into that is, is relatively easy because it kind of attracts similar minded people. Uh, and we've also just got great people we're working with. We, 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 we'll talk about some of the we've aimed at high quality names, blue chip for our validation by way of investors and by way of clients. Um, but we're working with great people there as well. So mm -hmm. I, I remain passionate and excited about it. Cool. Very cool. So let's kick off a little bit of the details around. So you, you come from outside the real estate space. Now let's think about the real estate space as you've come into it. Why do companies today need better access to data? So you said data is key in the energy space, the decarbonization space as a whole. But within real estate, why is data so important for decarbonization specifically? Well, look, great question. So first of all, 
um, it's, it's not just the real estate space. I think the real estate space is at the front of the line and for us, a very major segment focus. Um, and that's because it, it's leading in many respects, the regulatory and the awareness profile in this space. But okay. what Cleartrace does in terms of accurately in real time, measuring, monitoring, displaying, um, sources, movement, consumption, and the carbon footprinting related to energy supply is applicable across, in frank, yeah. frankly, every industry. Totally. Um, but for us, in terms of focusing at the, the places that are um, very receptive today, real estate, so commercial buildings, you, you, you and your audience know is a very significant part of the GHG footprint. Whichever way you want to slice and dice it, it's towards 40% of, of GHG footprint. Um, it's also, and this is, I think, very interesting where the industry is, is leading, you've got a lot of players who are very responsible and they take the, um, the carbon footprinting targeting very seriously and they, mm -hmm. they look for it to be accurately and clearly reported. And the last element, which is key, is it's, it's kind of the leading edge from a regulatory point of view. Mm -hmm. You've got the, the couple of examples, local law 97, Birdo in Boston, there's other states, Maryland, California, coming up with similar regulations and many others coming. They, they are basically carbon footprint regulations, hurdles. They are, at the, real estate is at the front of that regulatory hurdling um, stage. And mm -hmm. because those are regulations that are actually on the books, being replicated, you see some similarities in Europe, um, real estate is extremely receptive to what we're doing. Got it, got it. And talk to me about the data piece. So, you know, you've talked about greenwashing a little bit uh, here. How, how does that connection of source carbon intensity and building energy usage, how does that provide value given the real or the regulatory environment, the, the fear of greenwashing and really the marketing value, right, as well of decarbonization? How does that connection sort of, how, how are people like Brookfield viewing that connection? Like, why do they need it? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, let, let's talk about greenwashing, which you raised there. And, and we see it every day, whether it's people, frankly, these days being let out in handcuffs for making statements around state, uh, you know, financial instruments or, or ESG investing, um, or just people making a mess of their PR. And that's yeah. because the vocabulary is, allows that today. How totally. Many how many people, and you must come across it all the time, how many people are making statements about we're 100% renewable, we're, yeah. this, you know, we're carbon free on a Thursday. I mean, wonderful, <laughs> delightfully vague vocabulary. It doesn't mean anything. And this is kind of goes back to when you're asking, like, why I'm doing this. It, that's why. Because people make these statements, uh, and it's a little bit the... Um, the evolution of the decarbonization world. And I do think of it in three phases, which is the first phase was the world wakes up and says, oh yeah, this carbon's a problem and we need to be aware of it and we need to start doing some things about it. The, mm -hmm. the, the birth of the popularity of ESG. Phase two for me is 
um, kind of where we still are, but I hope the later parts of it, which is, okay, anyone who does anything that's remotely green, let's give them credit for that. Let's applaud it and embrace it. And that's very good. I, I love that. I'm not decrying it at all. Yeah. But that's kind of the offset world, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah. Which is, okay, I'm burning electricity. And at the end of the year, I say I used X amount of electricity. Um, and, you know, I get some pretty basic average data for some, from some of my utilities, which show me that, um, you know, 58% of that electricity was very horribly carbon creating. Yeah. So I'm now going to go out and buy 58% RECs, which are completely unrelated to what I do <laughs> and use. And, it, and some of them are really, frankly, sketchy. You know, some, mm -hmm. I didn't cut down some trees in Guatemala that might have otherwise been cut down. How does that help Midtown Manhattan at peak load? I don't know. Um, but because I, I've got an equal balance there on what is kind of my carbon using volume and my offset volume, I can say I'm 100% renewable. Well, okay, as I say, better that people do the, the, the offsets than nothing. Yeah. There is consistent data out there that shows that is very not close. The ARB between um, that and being actually 100% renewable is very significant. Okay, yeah. Google published data, it's out there. Uh, I think it was 2019 not being temporarily and regionally matched in your offsets or actual supply was a difference of instead of being 100%, you're only 61%. Massive difference. Um, and that's across the world. So yeah. that's kind of phase two, which is people are still out there and legitimately, because this is a voluntary process, um, making statements saying I'm 100% renewable because I buy offsets of any shape, color, size, whatever it is. Totally. Phase three, so phase one, realization of ESG. Phase two, anything green is, is good, which is good. I, I love it. But phase three is, yeah, now we go to a little bit more um, focused solution here, which is the technology like ClearTrace has evolved so we can actually do the homework of matching green energy supply temporarily, regionally, um, to the actual consumption and therefore you end up with a genuinely greener world if everybody is matching their green energy supply to their consumption qed the world is green mm -hmm. we don't get there overnight there's a blend there's a there's a shading as we move that way but um that's kind of for me the three phases of of the, of the greenwashing um reporting compliance stage and that third phase is where I think we're coming into now. And we can okay. talk in a second about the, the 24 seven carbon free concept, the load matching that we do. Um, but that that's the progression as I see it. And that's why I'm, I'm doing this and I'm very happy to be part of it. So that was kind of stage one of your question there was, was green, the greenwashing issue. Does that kind of yeah. work for you, um, James? Mm -hmm. Yeah, before, yeah, before you get into stage two, and I think you kind of answered stage two, but I want to circle back on it. Will you talk about real quick what you mean by uh, temporally and regionally? Just so, I mean, I understand what you mean, but people might not, let's just bring everyone into the conversation that might not know what that means. Yeah, very good question. So when you buy an offset, 
It may not be, most likely it will not be. Um, the value of energy, renewable energy, um, that has been produced at the same time and in the same region, even on the same grid system as energy that you are using. And let's, let's take a, an example. Uh, I'm in New York City and I am uh, using energy off the grid, which is particularly at peak because that's all that's available mm -hmm. is, is relatively brown. Um, I then go at the end of the month or the end of the year and say, oh, there's some megawatts that were produced by brown energy, and I'm going to buy some RECs, some offsets, renewable energy credits for the same volume of e electricity. Um, where are they coming from? Well, most, a lot of people don't ask that question, but e even let, let's say they're coming from a Texas wind farm in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. So it's, it, volumetrically, it's equivalent. Mm -hmm. X megawatts brown, X megawatts of, of certification of green energy production, uh, you know, that put them together, they offset, I'm 100% renewable. Well, no, you're not, because the impact of the offsets from uh, a, a Texas wind farm in the middle of the night, which makes very little impact on the overall picture, is not the same as buying wrecks that might be in New York, similar zone, or at least even in the New York ISO operation, and mm -hmm. um, which are at the same time as you are using uh, the, the, the brown energy. Because we know that pika plants kick in, they're very often brown. Um, you know, so time is relevant and totally. location is relevant. And, and it kind of goes to, to be fairly simplistic, it kind of goes to the, the premise, which is, um, be responsible for yourself, okay? Which is at one point, very relevant that any offset is, is good progress for the world. Today, let's go to that phase three, which is be responsible for yourself. I'm a corporation, I use this much energy and I, I ideally use green energy for my requirements. And we clear trace can prove that, that's the secret if you like, in, in our progression. We can go outside, in, in the real estate case, outside the building to source track where the, the energy is coming from so that you are actually buying green energy and able to prove that you are using green energy in your facilities, building, factory, data center, whatever it may be. Um, if everybody takes those standards, we are solving the problem because what does it do ultimately? It pushes up the demand in the little example that we were talking about, James, for um, New York at peak green energy because you as well as me and every other real estate owner wants green energy at that time because otherwise it's gonna impact their carbon footprint. Um, mm. So what do they do? They go out and they buy green energy. What does that do? It bids up the price. What does that do? It means more people look for ways to build green energy supply that will be available at peak in that location, which is good. We want the market to move that way because it means there'll be more green energy in that space at, available at the time when it's being demanded um, rather than more green energy available in a grid somewhere on the other side of the world where that actually makes very little difference.
Totally, totally. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Okay. So then the second half of my question earlier was around why is data important, right? So therefore, if I think about all the things you've said so far, data is important for procurement. Data is important for proving what you're doing to your stakeholders. Data is important for proving to regulators what you're doing, right? Um, yeah, it, it, it seems like it enables all of these things that are just requirements for the world moving forward. Is that how you're thinking of it? Look, yes. And, and, and again, as, as I, I try to contain my enthusiasm, that's why we're, we're excited about it and we're enthusiastic about it. And, um, and we've got some very smart and visionary shareholders and backers and, and clients because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's probably a good point for me to, to, to touch a little bit on what that data is and what we actually do with it that unlocks those points. Yeah. But yeah, your point is absolutely right because the what's from a business point of view, what's the total addressable market? The total addressable market is everybody that's using energy. Yeah. Because why isn't everybody that's using energy, first of all, accurately collecting data on where the source of their energy, that I'll come to the transmission, but also the use of their energy, mm -hmm. and then saying, what is the accurate carbon footprint of yeah. that energy? And what, if anything, should I be doing about it? Should I be trying to reduce it? Am I fine with where I am? Have I set targets to my shareholders, my stakeholders, my employees, um, my ESG fund investors that say, hey, even if I'm a, a relatively dirty industry or an old building, I can change that by gradually buying more green energy, fixing my windows, changing human behaviors on the thermostat. I can adjust those things. And even if I'm not great today, I can plot and map a, uh, um, a progression that is very positive and should be embraced by everybody. Because mm -hmm. if you've got an old building that's not easy to manage, okay, you can't always just overnight change everything but you can map out if you can measure it and monitor it you can manage it you can map out where you're going to go and show constant improvement none of that can you do without a really high quality data set that is not only in the building we'll talk about connections to other systems and building management systems but not only in the building it actually goes where we're unique is we go outside the building to source track and originate and carbon footprint the energy you're using. And that is a big lever to improving your actual carbon footprint. Yeah, yeah, well, let's talk about that data. So there's two sides of it, right? And you've been, you've been saying it, it's, I need data from inside my building and I need data from the grid. I think another piece of this that you've also said is I need very granular data, right? I need the ability to say this hour, the carbon intensity of the grid is this much and this hour I'm using this much in my building and be able to marry those two data streams together. Can you talk about how 
hard it is on both sides of that to get hourly because the standard today is mostly right at least throughout my career the standard in the building has been one data point per month monthly utility bill right and maybe some unreliable other meters in the building um and the standard on the grid side is like annual doe numbers that are published way after the fact or annual averages or just random regional carbon footprint numbers per kwh right from energy star right so can you talk about how we go from those old standards down into hourly yes i can and i'm also going to add in one element there that's important to your to your question because you're absolutely right that we're looking at um load utilization and we're looking at grid data but we're also looking at um supply data so where you get your energy and also that can be virtual in terms of evaluating recs or it can be actual in terms of ppas where you've gone out and bought green energy that that to one degree or another matches where you're actually burning things so okay. let, let me give you an example I, I and we've got a couple of um very great visionary clients and and investors that we're um that are in the public domain that we're very happy to talk about and, and i'll give you this example because it kind of goes back to um it kind of goes back to our initial capital raises and it, and shows itself again in in the recent one um jp morgan we work for JP Morgan, very proud to do that, phenomenal organization and very forward looking in their data and digital um, and, and energy and carbon footprinting. Um, we basically, uh, they saw the oncoming of local law 97, significant New York real estate players. They also saw um, the complication around a large corporation's entire energy profile and picture very siloed information a little bit of rooftop solar here uh, a little bit of community uh, energy here um, some vppas some ppas uh, some rec buying um, and then the grid mix whenever you've got a balance that you need to draw down by just turning on the lights sort of thing um, how do you pull all that together so we were working on that with JP, with JP Morgan, and that's when we came across Brookfield Renewable, because Brookfield Renewable uh, was supplying and is supplying from the upstate New York hydro systems that they own and operate, um, renewable energy under PPA uh, in down into Zone J, Midtown Manhattan for JP Morgan. And that's where Brookfield saw what we were doing were very supportive, remain supportive. I was actually in their offices this afternoon um, and and wanted to help us invest in us and, and work with us on certain and use us in certain ways. What, how does it work? So the data, where are we collecting data from? Each point of an entity's generation. So for a company like a JP Morgan, that's usually three sources. Okay. One, is power you go out and buy. And it's PPA, in location, physical power supply. In today's world, it's usually green, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, you can, you can do that with, with any source. The second one is um, own production. And increasingly, 
big companies, real estate players have rooftop solar. They have windmills in the parking lot. They, mm-hmm. you know, there's some type of own gen. Uh, you know, JP Morgan is certainly put it for fitting out rooftop solar in, in most of their locations. And then the third is the grid, that grid element. What do we do? We digitally collect in real time data from each of those sourcing situations. So IoT revenue grade meters, Brookfields Upstate Hydro, um, we are reading each turbine in each tributary of the Hudson River in real time showing energy being generated. We collect that data, SCADA telemetry, um, revenue grade, high quality IoT meters. We are similarly collecting that information from any rooftop solar that may be in the picture on the top of a, of a retail outlet, on the top of a data center, collecting that data real time as well. We are also um, collecting the data on any wrecks that are being bought. And uh, very often we will rate those wrecks, but that's up to the user at this point, voluntary system again. Mm-hmm. Um, we then check the grid mix at all locations at all hours. That data is now available and we are able to scan and, and collect that data. So all of the sourcing we have in near real time, it's pretty much real time. Each megawatt of that energy is given um, its own unique birth certificate. So we use a form of blockchain in our complex um, tech stack. Uh, Blockchain and and the whole uh, crypto system gets a lot of attention these days, either good or bad, depending what day it is. Uh, We use it because it works for what we do. It's very applicable, handles high volumes of data. It's self-auditing, it's auditable, it's immutable, it's accessible with permission. So what do we do? Each megawatt that is being produced, being born, gets its own unique NFT, if you want to think crypto language, it gets its own unique identifier, its own birth certificate. What is in that birth certificate? Well, where, when, the nature of generation. So hydro, carbon free, this location, this meter, this time, um, weather, temperature and carbon coefficient for each single megawatt hour. The good thing is once you put that in there, that's immutable. It can't be tampered with. The, the whole wreck and the offset world has a little bit of a history of human error inaccuracy and a little bit of fraud and replication here and there, as well as being generally handled like, you know, months in arrears in batched up Excel spreadsheet type information. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is, when I say phase three, the new world, this is real time, hour by hour granular data with that information in it that can't be played with and can't be fooled around. We then do the same, uh, we scrape smart data from staying with our example, the New York ISO to basically show uh, the New York ISO and the New York GATS, the transmission systems that show that that energy has both been scheduled and bought and transmitted um, from its location to zone J in Midtown Manhattan. We then are doing with the revenue grade meters um, at the load point. So let's take JP Morgan's 383 Madison um, building. 
uh, we are we are reading the meters there as well, real time, SCADA telemetry, um, IoT revenue grade meters, and from that you build up a full digital picture of creation of the energy, sale, scheduling, transmission into consumption and load, particular floor of a particular building. All of that data is digitized is tokenized using that um, blockchain element. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have a unique load matching engine. So first of all, you have the data, very useful. Secondly, you have the ability to basically connect the generation to the consumption and say that energy, carbon free or whichever energy it is, but in the example we're talking about, was actually used and consumed in 383 Madison. So you can make the statement digitally, because we all know electrons are fungible and don't flow, it's more of a magnetic field, but digitally that you can make the statement that this is the energy that was produced, mm -hmm. scheduled, bought, moved from a carbon-free background. Hence, uh, you know, a number of the press articles that we've had recently for JP Morgan, but also for, for Brookfield Properties, One Manhattan West, we'll talk about that, it's another cool example. Um, is 100% carbon free in its supply. One is able to make that intellectually, prove it um, digitally, and it's also acceptable for uh, the pretty strict um, guidelines for local law 97 and Virgo. So it's, it's, it passes muster um, in being an acceptable load matching engine for proving green energy um, or carbon footprint into a consumption point. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. One of the follow-up questions I have there when I was listening to you talk there is like, so take 383 Madison, for instance. It's not like there's a wire running from there to the hydroelectric dam, right? So if you picture like the hydro, hydro's great because it's a big river, right, coming off of there. Not all of those molecules, right, are producing electricity at 383 Madison, right? So how does, and maybe this is a problem for when this concept grows, but how do we make sure that um, there's not more um, claims on the load side than there was water molecules to begin with? How does it go backwards to that once there's a bunch of buildings that are doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Well. Um... You know, that, that's where the system, the immutability and that quality of data granularity is, is key because, um, and for, in the example we're talking about, Brookfield Renewable saw the benefit because as energy producers, as generators, they are able to say to their clients, okay, we can supply you carbon-free energy. Brookfield Renewable is actually supplying JP Morgan and, and, and their sister company brookfield properties but it's pretty separate operation mm -hmm. carbon free energy for for certain buildings and just for that very reason why people don't say yeah 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 but you could be saying that to 100 people how do we know um you've got the picture there that says no this hour this energy is spoken for and it is being used in this building and we mm -hmm. can load match it back to that and you couldn't reload that hour of energy gen from a particular location 
to a to another building at the same time you fit the the system will will just won't allow it because it's so yeah self-balancing so it requires you guys as the sort of intermediary to work with both the brookfield renewables the generation side and the load side you have to have both Correct. in order for that to happen got and, it and that's the unique thing because a lot of a lot of your listeners um who are very re- clearly very real estate focused there's there's a building management systems um have been out there for quite a while and mm-hmm. they talk about um energy efficiency of course a lot and some of them talk about you know carbon footprinting and and this type of thing looking just at the load side of the picture which is okay we're going to read your your meters in in your building um mm-hmm. And we're going to append, as you mentioned, uh, you know, some average carbon data to that and give you, a, you know, simple math. We're going to give you a sort of carbon footprint. That is not at all what we're doing. What we are doing is saying we are going to hour by hour, location by location, source track where mm-hmm. your energy is coming from, carbon and prove it into your locations if you bought it or if you're just taking a grid mix or if you've got your 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 own um your own gen particularly valuable when you've got several different sources because yeah, it's sounds more like complicated it. but mm-hmm. the, the critical thing to understand is we are going outside the building we are going to the source of the energy carbon footprinting it proving it into the building and then giving you your carbon footprint so it's really okay. um a genuine a genuine analysis of uh, of your carbon coming in. And I think where that is so important looking forwards for the real estate space is um, as you see these hurdles and these regulations coming, um, as well as the, the, the good citizenship targeting of trying to, to set yourself goals and hit them, um, you can do certain amount in a, in a, in a building by fixing some of the physical attributes of the building the windows yeah. the insulation the chiller whatever whatever it is you can you can make good progress with that and that's a not what we do but certainly very valuable um you can also get some human behaviors that can be helpful um when there's only a when the building is only partially being used have everybody on one floor rather than in their offices so you have to chill or, or heat every floor in the building change the thermostat a couple of degrees all of these are good things okay um you, generally speaking when you look at the where where the regulations are going those won't fix it if you're just taking grid energy in big hmm. cities hmm. that okay. won't be enough you need the ability to say okay we're going to try and do those things and reduce the amount of energy we use and there's other ways of doing that as well um around the electricity industry but where the big saving on carbon footprint comes is from actually bringing in green energy and being able to prove it so you're saying even if i install all the energy efficiencies i can i can install even if i electrify all my loads even if i install the latest greatest controls you're saying still the point that you get down to in the big cities you're still going to be buying some power and therefore you're going to be buying dirtier power yeah than you need to and obviously over time uh, we all hope that's going to change as grids gradually get greener right let's be honest that's not happening overnight we got we got infrastructure implementation problems so we're going to be being faced with 
some you know brown grid situations for quite a long time so um uh, yeah i i think the way to solve and, it, and it's it's true when you look at the harbinger of this regulation which is local law 97 those physical adjustments don't get it done on their own mm -hmm. for, for buildings they don't and, and it tightens every year as well and it and it gets even worse when you start to make um when you start to take it hourly right so you mentioned the 24 7 carbon free energy goals that a lot of corporations are implementing these days started with google then microsoft and i think there have been more since then um it gets even more difficult then because there's still going to be that time when the grid is a little bit dirty on that one hour right on you know whatever depends on what grid you're talking about but it's still going to be hard to curtail and i always like to talk about in buildings you can't decarbonize at the expense of a, an occupant's productivity right so there's gonna be that time when like i need to have the lights on i need to be fully ventilated in here in this conference room when we're having this meeting right um that it's always going to be difficult and so therefore that's when the matching comes in essentially exactly exactly Got and it. um and you know to, to your point um you 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 also you're getting the point now where there's more sophistication and more awareness around these concepts of 24 seven matched granular hour by hour green energy supply um, and uh, consumers, the CNI world, as well as the, the real estate world are asking for energy suppliers to supply them on a 24 seven basis or some degree of that. And um, that's where you need the granularity of data that we have to prove that. And that's why, frankly, in our, our latest capital raising round, we do have a number of world-class um, energy supply players. We have Brookfield Renewable again. We have EDF, North America. Um, we have Tanaska. Uh, we have Exelon, who see the benefit of being able to say to their clients, you're asking us for some structure, some shape of curve um, of either 24 seven or partially 24 seven. Um, we wanna be able to show that and demonstrate that to our clients that are buying energy. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so if I repeat this back to you, if I, if I were to give the pitch for what you guys do back to you, <laughs> um, you guys don't really buy recs, purchase PPAs, um, get into anything like that that's already being done for your customers. You're just saying, what are all the sources of energy you have today? And it's a data problem at that point. Um, you mentioned a lot of metering. It sounds like maybe you're doing your own metering, but you're also leveraging what meters are already there, right? So it's a data problem, a metering problem. Um, and then layering in this, blockchain piece to make sure it's provable um, all the different reasons why blockchain is important, but basically saying um, this is the ledger for um, the, the transactions that have happened in this building for energy, being able to prove it. Absolutely. So your two points there. Yes, we are a very sophisticated carbon accounting process that is a, is a single source of truth for all around the energy and carbon profile of, of an entity. Um, this, we are not buying energy, supplying energy, changing windows, um, 
evaluating um, HVAC. That's not what we're doing. Um, what we are, are then enabling people to do is with that data is to go out and manage better their mm-hmm. carbon footprint and their energy profile. So um, absolutely, we advocate efficiency in the building. We advocate efficient use of the building. But then there is at where our data really drives people today, especially in the real estate, real estate space, is you've got to sort out your supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, people have used RECs or virtual types of energy supply. Increasingly, I think folks should be aware that's going to be looked at. And it's not going to be looked at as favorably as actual temporal, using my phraseology again, same time, same place, green energy, physical supply. It's not mm-hmm. going to be looked at as well. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, can we talk about real quick the so you mentioned planning a little bit and you mentioned um, efficiency and, and electrification throughout this conversation. How can this data then be used to um, plan out the roadmap? So I would imagine once once you offset or offsets the wrong word, once you match all of your consumption with with renewable energy, right? I would imagine at some point you'd say, well, how can I do this cheaper, right? Over time, because at that point you're you're zero carbon, right? You've you've reached your goal, but over time there's got to be cheaper ways to do it, right? And so, how do you then use that data to then say, well, what if we do this project in that building and that project in that building, or we switch the source from hydro to solar over here? How do you then make decisions moving forward in in a, a real estate organization? Absolutely. A really great question. Um, Our data enables the modeling and we we have some modeling. We're still building out some of that modeling, but Mm -hmm. it basically enables exactly what you just mentioned, which is I want to get uh, and and this is uh, what I would describe as an AI layer that we're working on uh, in our product roadmap right now. Uh, And I think of it a little bit like um, the navigation system in your car if you like, which is um, you you sit in your car in, um, you know, in Boston and you want to get to New York. So you put in the deck, you put in where you are, you put in where you want to get um, and and a couple of criteria there. I don't want to pay toll roads or I don't want to go over bridges Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And it will show you some options. And then you hit the button and it it will kind of lead you down that path. Okay, That's that's stuff that we are working on right now, which is I'm operating... First of all, is collect. I'm operating a building or a real estate portfolio. Um, first of all, where am I? So the data, collect all the data, and I'll come back to your metering question because it's, it's a very relevant one. Um, I collect all the data, sources, applications, transmission and movement to, to the extent that you're load matching, um, but collect all that data, digitized, tokenized, it's ready, it's there to use. Now, where do I want to get? Okay, I've got this much, this percentage of renewable energy on a, on a daily, monthly, annual basis, um, granular proof of it. I've got this carbon footprint, actual tons of carbon put in the air by virtue of my energy activities, my scope to clear energy activities. Mm-hmm. What do I want to do? Am I happy with that? Is that fine? Because I'm doing pretty well. Or do I want to improve and set targets and do that? You do that, 
you put it in and it shows you the, the best ways to do that. Where is it? Is it actual power supply? Is it wrecks or offsets, which in our process, and we have academic involvement in that because this is the, the first element of qualitative in there, if you like, um, is maybe certain offsets don't get 100% value. You know, mm -hmm. X megawatts doesn't match X megawatts. It's 62%, it's 50%, it's 10% if it's, you know, something not very uh, matchable. Um, but how's the best way, and best can mean different things, cost-effective, mm -hmm. um, regionally sensitive. I want to do this all in North America, or I'm happy to do things around the world. How do you factor all those elements in? And then how do you get there? You hit the button, the AI will actually implement it for you. Could also work the other way, to be perfectly honest. You could be very, very renewable and very low carbon footprint. And just uh, think of it like, um, like capital in a, in, a, in a company, in a business. You never want to have too much equity because then you know, you, you're not using it fully. Mm -hmm. Imagine that someone has set a target that I'll be 90% renewable uh, with this many tons of carbon by 2025. Right. And all of a sudden you realize that you've actually gone past that. Now, maybe the real answer is that's jolly good. Stick with it. Congratulations. But maybe you need, you're having a hard time business-wise. You can take something back out of that and still hit your targets, but you can now manage it. You can think of it actively um, to, to manage it. So, so that's definitely um, what we're doing. So your questions about modeling and people saying, well, okay, if I want to get to this target, um, the best state for me to make these uh, these investments in power supply is this one and this one because it has the highest impact and the most cost effectiveness. That's absolutely what our, our data allows that modeling. And we're doing it. We're doing some of it internationally right now, which is kind of cool. Um, the, the, the second point I'll come back to is you asked about the metering mm -hmm. and data availability because historically um, the energy world and the real estate world has not had this kind of data availability collecting data is is one of the challenges we're, we're i would say we're good at that but that's one of the things we need to be good at um we are not a hardware company in any way shape or form so we're not supplying energy we're not selling recs and we're not selling hardware we're a software company we collect data we do smart things i hope with that data that enable people to take actions that, that are clever we do work with um, uh, you know, people who are in the hardware space. So metering uh, very often is implemented as part of someone's PPA. They will be saying um, in that RFP for power supply, they'll be saying uh, your supply needs to have metering of quality that will give clear trace the information. It, that's, mm -hmm. We're seeing that in um in rfps for power supply to major companies that we're working with got it all right uh well let's final question I, i'd like to circle back on the integration so you mentioned building management systems you've mentioned metering systems you mentioned iot a little bit these are all the topics that we normally talk about on the podcast so i always like to circle back into okay we have this new technology how does this perhaps integrate with how does this data help those systems? How does systems from those systems or data from those systems help what you guys are doing? How does this integrate in 
the real estate organization's overall tech stack. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that there are companies out there that are already looking at the load side analytics quite a bit, right? And um, I think they could use a lot of the insights that you're providing to provide better analytics on the load side. So that's just one idea I have, I guess. But what are you thinking about in terms of how this integrates in with other technology that building owners buy? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a really, really well-informed question. So um, yes, is the short answer. We work with, we're very happy to work with building management systems because they're, um, first of all, and it, it, the, the two subjects link together pretty well. Uh, our last two, your last two questions there, mm -hmm. uh, James, you must have done this before. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the fact is collecting data is not always easy. Okay. There's not always exactly the kind of metering or it, it or it takes time to collect, to connect up to those. Yeah. Very often, if there's a building management system in place, they're already scraping data from some of the all of the meters in the building maybe doing water maybe do, excuse me maybe doing waste or other, other things as well but they're collecting data from the um the revenue grade meters the the utility meters we talk about so mm. we are, we are very happy um to work with uh apps and and management systems on both ends of the equation whether mm -hmm. it's in the building so there's a building management system we have partnerships with a couple of what I would consider the leading um, technologically building management system players um, to basically take the data from their app for the load information, because they've already got it. Mm -hmm. And we have similarly, uh, we work with a number of the energy management um, software companies that are already collecting and managing data on the generation side of things. Mm. Okay. So we, we can do that. I mean, if I'm if I'm honest, from a, a, a purely perfectionist point of view, we would rather eventually get to the stage where we're taking that data from the actual IoT revenue grade meters, yeah. each day, both mm. the generation side and the load side, because it's it's the horse's mouth. Because we then believe that we, yeah. you know, there's no we're controlling the whole data set. There's no human touching. It's, it's fully automated and fully, it's as high integrity as there is available. But yeah. in the short term, very happy to work with, with um, the good building management systems and the good energy management generation systems as well. So we, we are set up to integrate with other players around the real estate space and, um, and very happy to do that and very respectful of what some of those other processes of bringing and, and doing. Totally. All right, Lincoln, this has been super educational. Thank you for putting up with all of my long drawn out <laughs> questions. Um, let's end with some carve outs. I'd love to hear from you on, uh, this could be personal and professional. What link can I share with the audience? What could be a book, podcast, um, newsletter, movie, TV show that you think we should share with the audience that has made us an impact on you? Wow. Um, well, first thing, I'm going I'm to unashamedly um, plug the fact that we're going to be doing some tech type podcasting around our, oh, cool. our topic. So um, and that's going to be called the, the decarbonization race. 
And um, because we do try and look at it as an urgency is needed here, not in real estate, but not just in real estate. So broader. Totally. So okay. um, that, that's from a from what podcast do I like? I love that one, even though it hasn't <laughs> come out yet. Um, <laughs> All right. I, I do. Um, you know, from a book's point of view, I'd certainly read read stuff around this space. But uh, again, kind of goes back to your opening in terms of what was my main career and what I'm doing now. I've gone from that really big um, organization to a, a pretty small organization in terms of, of size of people and, and capital base and, and footprint. Um, and people ask me, well, is it is it worse? Is it easier or is it, you know, what, what's the difference? Um, and I would actually go as far as to say, in, in many respects, it's easier because it's more agile, um, but it's similar. And it's similar because it's, it's working as a, as a team and trying to get the most out of people. And so the book that I think about, I don't know why, but I just reread it recently, is what I really consider a kind of like a team building type book. Okay. Uh, and it also shows my 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 Brit growing up on the River Thames history here, where I used to row um, crew, as you call it here in, in America. Okay. And it's it's the boys in the boat, which is I can't remember who the author is now, but it's a phenomenal book. And if you haven't read it, I recommend it. All and right. for me, it's a really it's a it's a team. Um, hang in there, make it work. Believe in what you're doing. Have mm -hmm. a vision and a dream. Uh, and and that's what we're doing. We're doing this. I would say everybody in our in our, on our platform um, certainly wants to make a fantastic commercial success of what we're doing, um, because the total addressable market, the 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 uses are, are you know are superbly large and superbly exciting. But also there is that altruistic ambition here, which is by having accurate data that people trust. The man in the street trusts and understands enables regulation, enables transparency, uh, enables people to really move concretely in the right direction. Um, that altruistic ambition is, is very team spirit driven. So mm -hmm. I kind of go to that book and it's partly because I reread it recently. Um, you know, the boys. Cool. The That's great. I'll have to check that out. Um, mine that I'll share this week is very relevant to our conversation. I just started it. So I can't speak on whether it covers everything we talked about today, but it's called The Energy Switch. It's a book by um, the guy's name is Peter. I can't remember his last name, but it's all about this transition in the electric grid that we're talking about. So it's one of the books that I've read that has really, as a building's mind, you know, you can get very behind the meter focused. And I feel like that's another phase that has sort of ended for, there, there are no behind the meter energy professionals anymore. That That is a, mirage right now um, that is that is disintegrating before our eyes so we have to acknowledge that this is all one grid and i think that's one of the books i'd point people to to start to figure out where we're at in that transition so okay that's i'm i'm gonna note that down and and grab that one because uh i had a couple of very interesting conversations recently around with, uh, around some think tanks um, on the future of the grid, and that's that's go. maybe another conversation, and, and yeah. uh, maybe we'll 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 pick your brains on that, given given the depth of reading you're doing, because you know there's some real questions on on, on how particularly the U.S. grid evolves in the next five years, because with 
um, you know, the, the, the decentralization with the, um, you know, the micro capabilities with the, um, you know, the fragility of a lot of the infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, how should it evolve? So that, that's, a, that's a cool one. I've noted it down. Very good. All right, Lincoln, I re- this is really a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Look, it's really a pleasure to talk to you as well and um, enjoy the rest of the day. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day. Thank you.